Today we want to continue putting the puzzle together regarding the kingdom of God. And as I've been studying the kingdom of God, first time in my life I have, put thought into it, studying from Scripture how the kingdom of God is to come, why He started a kingdom, and how this kingdom operates. And as I have been, I cannot tell you the amount of purpose and the amount of meaning that comes to life because in understanding it, we gain knowledge of why we are here. So we've been answering many questions over the last two portions or two installments of this three-part series. Today is part three. Uh, and we're going to be asking questions regarding the kingdom of God. And as we continue asking the questions, we can fill in the blanks and the puzzle will come together pretty nicely. So this morning, we will answer the following questions. Did Jesus come to start a religion or did he come to establish a kingdom? I just think that's an extremely profound question to ask and answer. Because if we become clearer on, as to what Jesus came to do, uh, we have a much greater opportunity of jumping on board with his mission. And I mean to say, before I started reading these questions, that um, hopefully, you know, this is a little bit different teaching than what we are used to because it's a little bit more classroom setting. But um, I feel like this is something that we have to grasp in our understanding. And so the first question is, did Jesus start, a, did he come to start a religion or did he come to establish a kingdom? We're going to ask the question, what is the difference between a religion and a kingdom? Who gets to enter this kingdom? Number four, what is the difference between entering the kingdom of God and inheriting the kingdom of God? Because the Bible speaks of both. What is the future of this kingdom? And what are the ramifications of the kingdom of God? In other words, how does it impact us today when we grasp the understanding thereof? So in our text, in Luke 17, 20, that Sid read, we see the Pharisees demanded that Jesus tell them when the kingdom of God will come. He says in verse 20, now, when he, had asked by, when, he, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Now, in that statement we're going to draw some conclusions. He says, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. What do we see there? He says further, nor will they see, will they say, see here, see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you, among you. The kingdom of God is already here. He wasn't speaking to the disciples. He wasn't speaking to the disciples. He was speaking to who? The Pharisees. Was the kingdom of God inside of them? No. But he says it was among them. He was standing in front of them. But so were his disciples. So he was saying to the people who did not have the Spirit of God that the kingdom of God is among you and you cannot even see it. You cannot observe it. Because here stands Jesus and the disciples in their midst. And the kingdom of God is in your midst, he says to them. But the other thing that we see, or the other two things that we see, is uh, that the kingdom of God is not seen in natural terms, but is a spiritual reality. It's not a natural, it's not concrete. It's not something another country can attack and overcome. But it overcomes all others. So it cannot be seen in natural terms, but, this, but it's a spiritual reality with natural responses or natural outcomes. It also says that, he, they said, when is the kingdom coming? He says, the kingdom does not come. He says, the kingdom does not come with observation. In other words, it, it's not that it doesn't come. It's coming, but it's not coming in that way. It's very important to understand this because most of the time, what people think about when they think about the kingdom of God, they think about dying and go to heaven. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 the kingdom doesn't come with observation. It does come, but not that way, where you could see it as a concrete building that can be attacked and destroyed. It comes in a different way, but it's coming, and it is here. We see something very interesting when Jesus was accused of casting out devils, 
He said, they said, they accused him. They said, Jesus, you casting out devils by the power of Beelzebub. You use Satan to cast out Satan. Look at what Jesus said. He says, if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. He says this, watch. How then will he's, Satan's kingdom, stand? So here, according to Jesus, Satan actually has a kingdom. And then we already know that, of course, Christ came and he said, when I cast out devils by the finger of God, know this, the kingdom of God is here. So in other words, Satan has a kingdom, God has a kingdom, and both of them were operational at the time of him saying this. Because remember, they accused him of casting out devils. <laughs> so the kingdom had arrived. It's there. It's here. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul affirms this. He says in Colossians 1 verse 12 through 13, he talks about the kingdom of God and he declared that the kingdom of God was already here and that the kingdom of God was already receiving citizens to it. The kingdom has citizens. Just like you can be a citizen in Great Britain, the kingdom of the, Uni the United Kingdom, so too the kingdom of God has citizens that are joining it. Listen to Colossians 1, 12 and 13. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of this inheritance of the saints in the light. Then he says, verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed, which means transferred, transferred us into the kingdom of the Son. When you were born again, you entered the kingdom of Christ. Cannot be observed. You don't know, nobody looks different physically from before they got saved to after they got saved. They might clean up a little bit, but they don't, their feature, they, they look the same. It's not with observation. But Lord knows there's a new creature right here. A new creation has just come. He has made all things new for that person who just got saved. So in other words, we were delivered from the power of darkness, transformed into the kingdom of the Son. This happens at the moment of being born again. But now in order to find clarity about this Christian faith that you and I are in, we have to ask this very enlightening question. Number one, did Jesus come to start a religion or did he come to establish a kingdom? What did he come to do? Establish a kingdom. It is undeniable that this was what he came to do. Establish God's kingdom. In Revelation 19, 13, Jesus is given the title of King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Kingdom, this is kingdom language. In John 18, 36, Jesus claims he has the kingdom. It was given to him. In Isaiah chapter 9, 6, and 7, Jesus' government shall continue to increase, and of its increase there shall never be any end. He will increase and increase and increase and increase, and there will never be an end. I just want to say this. Many people believe, and I think this will be an answer key for many, many people believe that in the thousand years, that's when his kingdom will come for a thousand years. Well, if that's true, then the kingdom Jesus started won't increase until the kingdom come. There are no two kingdoms. There's one. He started it and it will increase and increase and increase for much more than a thousand years. And it will increase long before the thousand years even arrive. Let me say this. It will increase and increase and it says forever. All right. So it's not talking about the thousand year reign as people assume that that is the that is the time for the kingdom. It's not. His kingdom is here and it will increase forever and ever and ever. Isaiah 6, 9, verse 6 and 7. In Ephesians 1, verse 21, Jesus is seated at the, at the highest place of authority and dominion above every name that can be named in this age and the age to come. This is all kingdom talk. Finally, there's so many verses I want to bring to you in order to answer the question, did Jesus come to start a religion or did he come to establish a kingdom? In Revelation 1, 5 and 6 it says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. The ruler over the kings of the earth. This is Jesus. The ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. This is total kingdom talk. Jesus came to establish a kingdom. So it's, uh, our conclusion here is that it's hardly the idea of a religion. 
What Jesus came to do, what was given him power and authority and dominion, power, authority and dominion from heaven to earth over all the kings of the earth, it is hardly a religion. That is not how religions function. Because the religion comes to save us from hell, but the kingdom comes to rule and to reign. This is the difference between kingdoms and religions. Let's ask that question and let's define it clearly. What is the difference between a religion and a kingdom? Well, a religion has the primary appeal of something that promises peace at the time of death. When I die, I'm going to be in peace. And after I die, there are promises of an afterlife. This is what religion does. It promises you two things, peace at the time of death and an afterlife after death. This is what religion promises. So in other words, religion is for, uh, for most people uh, is a way of getting past the security detail of the, on Judgment Day. Like, can I just get past that gate, please? <laughs> and hopefully my religion is going to make that happen for me, right? But every religion has rules. Let me say that again. Every religion has rules. And if you keep those rules, you get heaven and you escape hell. This is the concept of religion. Now, Christian religions basically see Jesus' purpose uh, as of helping you escape hell and making heaven. This is what most people view religion to be as, Christian religion. But the truth is, hell is not Jesus' emphasis. The kingdom of God was Jesus' emphasis. And I really want to make this clear with you guys. Because as we understand the kingdom of God more and more and more, and as we understand the emphasis that Christ placed on kingdom work, so our purpose in this world increases. The clarity of what God has called us to do is incredible when we understand the emphasis that Christ placed upon the kingdom and its work. Jesus taught that the kingdom is at hand. Well, John the Baptist started and he says, Behold, the kingdom of God is near. Jesus taught the kingdom is now. The kingdom is like a merchant, he said, in search of per fine pearls, Matthew 13, 45. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house, Matthew 13, 52. Jesus said the kingdom is like leaven, Matthew 13, 33. He said that the kingdom is like a mustard seed, Matthew 13, 31. Jesus said the kingdom is like a man scattering seed, Matthew 4, 26. He said the kingdom of heaven is like, like a fishing net, pulling in. The fish, Matthew 13, 47. Jesus taught, like, taught that the kingdom is like a man who found a hidden treasure, Matthew 13, 44. Jesus sent out the disciples two by two in Matthew 10, and he told them to do what? To go and tell everybody that the kingdom of God is here. Then Jesus also um, sent out the 72 disciples in Luke 10, 11, to go and tell everybody that the kingdom is near. And after Jesus rose from the dead, in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, he says, uh, says that Jesus appeared to the disciples for 40 days. This is after he rose from the dead. For 40 days, he was with the, with the apostles, teaching them about what? The kingdom of God. And the final verse in the book of Acts says, and it's the last, very last verse of the book of Acts, it says that Paul, for two years, spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Look at Acts chapter 28, verse 30 and 31. Then Paul, dwelt, then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. He lived there for two years in Rome. This is right before he, he was executed. And people came to him and what did he do? Verse 31, preached to them the kingdom of God. So whether it's John the Baptist, behold, the kingdom of God. Whether it's Jesus who spoke mostly about all things he spoke of was the kingdom of God, or whether it be Paul who taught for two years about the kingdom of God, or whether it be Peter. There's one single message in the New Testament, and it's hidden. It's almost like we don't see it. It's like that hidden treasure in the field. It's almost like we don't see it. It, it doesn't come with observation. But there's one single main message in the New Testament, it's the king and his kingdom. It's so interesting. If you read the story of the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and he says, What must I do to inherit what? Eternal life. Life eternal. What religions offer, right? Or promise. Life eternal. What shall I do to inherit that? 
Jesus responds here in Mark 10, 23 to this um, man. And he tells him, hey, go and sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor and you'll be saved. Because he first said that he's gonna, he kept all the commandments. And then Jesus said, let's see if you do. Sell all you have and give it to the poor. He couldn't do it. Then later on, Jesus spoke to his disciples about this. In verse 23, he says to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Watch this. These are the words, words of Jesus himself. The words of Christ. How hard it is for those who have riches, wealth, to enter what? The kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. So Jesus is responding to this man who said, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, It's very difficult for them to enter the kingdom of God. And then in verse 26, look at how the disciples respond. It says, they said, and they were greatly astonished, it says, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? <laughs> so this is interesting. What I want to show you is that in this conversation, there were three terms used within the exact same context. He wanted to know what to do to inherit eternal life. Jesus says it's hard for him to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples asked, well, then who can be saved? In other words, eternal life, the kingdom of God, and salvation are all referred to as the exact same thing. When you were born again, you entered the kingdom of God. You were saved. Same thing. It all hangs on the new birth. That is the door into the kingdom of God, and that is God's means of salvation. So religion, our conclusion here, is that religion is something people, that people have to, uh, that people hope would save them from hell. However, Jesus came to establish a kingdom and to save them from being excluded from this kingdom. Jesus came to save you from your sin, which excludes you from this kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. So, yes, Jesus came to establish a kingdom. And the difference between a religion and a kingdom is it doesn't just offer you eternal life. It is. It requires faith in Christ and the new creature to be born again with a brand new heart that loves God and repents to enter this kingdom Something Lucifer didn't have. You really think God's going to populate his heaven? And relive Lucifer? Who rebels against him? and Takes one third of the angels? No. New creatures now enter the kingdom of God. Alright, so let's ask, who gets to enter the kingdom of God? Well, here, what I'd like to say is that there was this big controversy in the, in the body of Christ not too long ago. I'm talking about 30 years ago, 20 years ago. And it's still raging on. And it's the lordship issue. Lordship salvation. People, people preach, all you need to do is believe and you are saved. All you need to do is believe and you are saved. When in fact, James said, if you show me your faith without your works, I will show you my faith, by, what I, by my works, by the way I live. What is, what is he saying here? He's trying to help people understand that just because you say you're a Christian, just because somebody claims that they believe in Christ, does not make them saved. That does not make them saved. Because there is a faith, and then there is a saving faith. Saving faith, impacts a person's life to the point where it's visible for others that this person got touched by God. 
This is why Jesus said, you will know them. You will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their fruits. So in other words, yeah, it is possible to know if somebody's saved or not. All you do is take look at their fruits. Look at how the gospel has impacted their life. So, the person who truly got saved now comes to Christ as Lord and as King. In other words, he now becomes a citizen of this kingdom because Christ is now his Lord. But in modern Christianity, what people want is people only want a Savior. They reject the Lord. I don't want, your, I don't want you to be king. I'm not in your kingdom. I'm loving the kingdom of darkness. I'm not in your kingdom, but you are my Savior, right? Because I did pray that prayer once. Makes no sense at all. So, you are not saved because of what you do. Your works do not save you. You can quit all drugs. You can quit all promiscuity. You can quit everything and still be unsaved. But... The saved person, the saved person, that person's salvation is evidenced in them wanting to walk away from the world. That's all. So who gets to be saved or who gets to enter into the kingdom of God? Those who are submitted to the king of that kingdom, which is Christ, lordship salvation. The next question, which is question number four, uh, which I found so interesting, is this whole idea of the difference between entering the kingdom of God and inheriting the kingdom of God. What is the difference? Because both are spoken of in Scripture. Well, some ministers have taught, because we have entered the kingdom of God as believers, we are therefore kings. We are princes. We are kings, and He's the king of all of us, kings. He's the king of kings. <laughs> and because we're kings, we ought to be living like kings. We are to, we are, we're not supposed to be poor, no. Kings are wealthy. We are not to be persecuted or trampled on, no. We should be ruling and reigning as princes and kings in this world. Well, the difference in this is, when you are born again, family... Uh, we actually entered the kingdom of God at our new birth. We entered that kingdom. But we entered that kingdom as those being ruled by the king. We are subjects to the king. We are servants of the king. We are, we are members within the army of Christ. We entered this kingdom... Because we were born again, something the rich young ruler could not do because he could not submit to the rule of Christ since he was actually ruled by money. He couldn't be ruled by Christ. That's why the Bible says you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is another word for money. You cannot serve both. You will love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. But if you're ruled by money, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because if you are ruled by mammon, you cannot be ruled by Christ. He is not your king. You are not in his kingdom. And Jesus warned about this over and over again. So the difference is when you were born again, you and I entered this kingdom. But when Jesus comes back, we inherit the kingdom that we entered into. It's almost like a son being born into a family and then ultimately inherits everything that that family leaves behind. But that inheritance happens because there's a death. Our inheritance took place because Christ died. And we inherit the kingdom of God. But look at this. In Matthew 25, 31 and 34, it says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then, when? When He comes in all of His glory and all the angels with Him, then... He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep, and, uh, sheep from the goats. Verse 33. And He will set the sheep on His right, 
but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Inherit the kingdom. If you don't enter the kingdom now, you cannot and will not inherit the kingdom then. So what is the difference? At this stage, the kingdom is here and Christ reigns from the right hand of God. It is here today. And of its increase, there will be no end. Those who embrace His Lordship today, in other words, those who are born again, and it's evidenced that they are born again by the fact that He has now become their Lord. Those who embrace His Lordship, they come as subjects and as servants inside of the kingdom of God. And Paul said that if we endure in this place of servanthood to God, of subjects to the King, Christ Jesus, when He comes back, we will reign with Him. That's when we inherit the kingdom. It says that in 2 Timothy 2, 10 and 12. I'll read it to you. Therefore, I endure all things. What do I do? I endure all things. I subject myself to the king. I serve the king gladly. I'm, as a matter of fact, I'm a slave to righteousness. I was a slave to sin, but now I'm a slave to Christ's righteousness. Therefore, he says, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain who? The elect. That they also, the elect, may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with Him, we shall live with Him. Here it is, verse 12. If we endure. If we endure. Which is a sign of the authenticity of your born again state. Endurance is a sign that you truly got saved. Endurance proves that when you got saved, you actually really got saved. That you had saving faith. Not George Michael faith. Saving faith. Not Bon Jovi faith. Saving faith. Not Oprah faith. Saving faith. If you endure, which is the sign that you had saving faith, then... He says, we shall also reign with Him. That's when you reign with Him. That's when you reign with Him. When we inherit the kingdom, it is like a prince who inherits the kingdom. So we have a great example of this in what, you know, a year ago, uh, Queen Elizabeth passed away. There was no vote as to who the next king is going to be, right? Nobody voted on that. No, the son inherits the kingdom no matter if you like him or don't he inherits the kingdom if there was a vote many would have voted against him but there's no vote and then there's the big coronation ceremony and what is that that's a big declaration UK you have a new king and here he is (laughs) cry weep Love, rejoice, I don't care. Here he is. (laughs) He just inherited the kingdom. The very same thing happens. And there will be much, much rejoicing. You, the Son of God, which includes females. You, the child of God, inherit the kingdom when Jesus returns with his angels. And that's the point. You, You reign with Christ. You become co-rulers with Christ. So we do not live as many expect, you know, which is like kings and we assume positions and we assume that, you know, we are owed wealth we don't have because we're supposed to live like kings. We're supposed to be in the palace, not in the prison. (laughs) And uh, uh, because we are God's children now. But the truth is, family, when we entered this kingdom, this kingdom is currently at war. This is the truth of God's kingdom. It's currently at war. You and I, when we entered this kingdom, 
we became subjects within the kingdom, servants within the kingdom, and we joined the armies of God, and we are, in fact, at a war. And during wartime, we don't sit in the palace. No, no, no. We are in the trenches at war, pulling down strongholds that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. This is our job. This is what we are doing. And this is how he's conquering all of his enemies. And this is the reason why I wanted to first teach on the enemies of God. If you remember that series, we talked about secular, secularism. We talked about humanism. We talk, talked about, um, oh, there, was, there were so many, consensus theory of truth and all of the different ideas people have that stands starkly up against the knowledge of God. And I'm so excited about this, but I don't know if you follow trends, for instance, trends against evolution. Like Marxism is coming down fast. Now it pops up here and there and everything, but people are losing faith in that system fast. Over and over again, it'll be proven to be a failure, but until the gospel proves it to be a failure and to be a lie from the devil, it's not going to go away altogether. But, for instance, evolution. Evolution is the basis for racism. Yet, it's taught in our school as fact. Evolution is the basis for gender dysphoria. Yet, nobody calls it out. Evolution is the basis for, um, for meaninglessness. You're an animal. That's all there is to you. And there's no meaning, no rhyme, no reason. You're a blob that developed. And when you die, you're dead. Nothing before, nothing after. Meaningless. And if you study, if you study Darwin's theory of evolution and how it's been developed over the years, you will find, of course, there's no image of God in you. God didn't make man in his own image. No, you're a blob. And it has been the basis for a tremendous amount of evils. You can go search it out yourself. One of the things we should do is we should actually go as a church, we should go to the to, um, Genesis, um, Answers and Genesis Museums, uh, which is the Creation Museum and the Ark Experience. And it's very clearly explained there. And by the way, they quote all the different... Um, foundational voices of Darwinism throughout time. And it shows how, um, you know, it's a very, very cruel system. Survival of the fittest. That's what it is. What do you th where do you think Hitler got his ideas from? Survival of the fittest. And why do you think he wanted to create a different race? Because he was on the bandwagon of everything evolving into something superior. Blonde hair, blue eyes. It's the most racist system that develops out of evolutionism. Cruel. Anti-God. Meaningless, purposeless. Futility at its best. But how is that going to be conquered? How is that enemy of God going to be conquered? Through the gospel and the gospel alone. You and I are in the trenches. You and I are in this kingdom as part of the armies of God. And we are to pull down all these strongholds that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. No, you are made in the likeness and the image of God. And we are one race. And we have a purpose and we have meaning. And no, you're not an animal. Why did you get dressed? Why don't you walk around like animals today? Just ask the next, the next uh, um, evolutionist. Oh, because you're moral. How did that happen? Where did we get our morality from? Why don't we see animals acting moral in any way? 
I'm just using that one example, but there are so many. Relativism. I mean, it's a complete enemy of God because relativism absolutely exits out and removes all truth because nothing can be ultimate except for them who say relativism is ultimate. <laughs> so you don't live in palaces like a king. Why not? Because you're currently on the battlefield. You're currently on the battlefield. You're currently in a war. So number five, the question number five is, what is the future of this kingdom? What is the future of this kingdom? I want to read you one verse, but let me say this. How many of you believe God is sovereign? Yeah, God is sovereign. Just give you one example. Somebody says God is sovereign, but the, devil, the, devil's, the devil's still loose. Well, this might be true, but he's sovereign over the devil. Why? Because think about just one verse. There are many. But he says that, watch this, you don't want to miss it. Because you see a lot of evil happen. You see death take place. You see people suffer. You see a lot of injustices and evils. And you go like, the devil is on the loose. Well, I would love to argue that Satan is God's devil. But I'll prove it to you in one verse. Now all things work together for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God has purposes. How could God ever have made that promise if the devil could do whatever he wanted to if the devil could do whatever he wanted to he would have stopped God from making all things work together for the good you would have said God you're going to make this you're going to work all things together for the good and the devil's going to go like uh -uh, no no I'm coming there and I'm destroying whatever it is that was going to be good but he can't because God is sovereign. If you cannot believe that God is sovereign, even over evil, you cannot believe that verse. Romans 8.28. So what is the future of this kingdom? Well, realize that history is God's story. It's His story. He is sovereign and God over history. No man makes history outside of God. God is sovereign over history. History is not just a bunch of random things that, that do not mean much. No, history is the tra trajectory that God has established to unfold His covenant after covenant after covenant until the king was going to receive Authority from the top of heaven to the bottom of earth. He was going to receive authority, which he did. He told the disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, therefore, because of this, now go and declare, you have a new king. You have a new king. I don't like him. Yeah, I know. You have a new king because he probably doesn't like you too. We have a new king. <laughs> you better learn to like him because every knee shall bow. So what is the future of this kingdom? It's the picture of that stone that was cut out of a mountain, rolled down the mountain and struck that massive statue that was made up of all these different metals representing all the different kingdoms. That rock, small stone, struck that statue at the feet, which had then tumbled, toppled, it broke down, and that rock started growing and filled the earth. Just like the waters covered the earth at the time of Noah. Just like the waters covered the earth at the time of Noah. Which God's bow promises to not do again. But instead the glory of the Lord will now fill the earth. I'll read you one verse which stood out to me. Revelation eleven fifteen. It says, Then the seventh angel sounded... And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. His kingdom has been established. Of its increase there is no end. And every one of His enemies will be made His footstool. He will ultimately stand on Marxism. He will ultimately stand 
all, uh, trample all over evolutionism. He will trample all over relativism. He will trample all, all over false religions. And he will then the kingdom of the kingdoms of this world have become, past tense, the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. Isn't that a glorious thought? He will conquer all. He didn't come to lose, folks. Your Christ is not a loser. <laughs> no, He came, and He came to conquer, and so He is. Finally, number six, what are the ramifications of the kingdom of God? What are the ramifications? In other words, how does it impact you and me? Well, when you became a believer, you didn't just get a ticket to heaven as we've discussed. That is something that happens because of it. In other words, yeah, of course, you will be in heaven and you will rule on earth. And somebody goes, I don't even understand it. Let me give you a glimpse of it quick. A glimpse of it. Jesus, he goes into the water. John the Baptist takes him and baptizes him. And right there on that moment, guess what happens? Heaven opens. There's heaven and earth. There it is. You're standing on earth and you are in heaven. Heaven opens. That is a snapshot of your will, your kingdom come on earth. Yes, you're in heaven. Yes, you're on earth. Where do you stand with your feet? Both. Both. As a matter of fact, your resurrected body would is going to look like the best version of you. <laughs> Jesus, when he had his resurrected body, he ate fish. Actually, he had scars. His resurrected body had scars. So what are the ramifications? When you got born again, you didn't just get a ticket to heaven. And now you are holding on to that ticket. You're holding on to Christ best you can in hopes that you don't fall away. But when you were born again, you became a new creature. Because of this new covenant... You are now part of this new family. As a matter of fact, if you're part of the second year Bible study, you'll learn that you are now this new temple called the New Jerusalem. You are new creation. All things have become new. I've come to make all things new, Jesus said. And here you are, new creation, a new creature. You are the new temple. You are the new Jerusalem. And the kingdom of God is among you. When you were born again, you actually entered the kingdom of God. Watch this. That is when you changed citizenship. That is when you changed being a citizen of earth and you became a citizen of heaven while walking on this earth. This is where you are being trained to fight the good fight in the kingdom. That's what you are doing today. This is what God is doing with your life today. He, is, he changed your citizenship. Now He's teaching your hands to war, your fingers to war. That's what the psalmist says. This is where you are trained to be an ambassador of heaven. That's what you are, right? You're an ambassador of heaven. In other words, you are here representing heaven. This is where you are now in the trenches, warring. Not against flesh and blood, but against every thought and every, every idea that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. This kingdom of God is where you are now, an active participant in spiritual warfare. And you will be given, you will inherit this kingdom if in fact that is who you are, an active participant on the battleground. You see... Uh, this uh, scriptural truth or this, this biblical truth about the kingdom of God turns this entire world not into a playground but into a battleground. This is a battlefield. We now see, ah, 
all these ideas coming out of our colleges and universities and schools and from the culture and that are that are coming up against Christ against scripture that's your job that's why I say to my son you know if you pass biology and fail theology I'm a failed father because I know a lot of people who have succeeded in so many areas in life but then they have destroyed marriages their kids are rotten to the core their wives have left them they've lost everything and I actually told a story last, last night to the Bible school um, graduates I said you know when I was 1994 it was my fourth year at college in, in Johannesburg South Africa and uh, the college was Wits, Witwatersrand University. So you can go look it up just to see if it's true. <laughs> look for my picture. <laughs> my hair was down here. <laughs> my hair was long. My thoughts were short. <laughs> now, I remember every, every morning I would run to class. Late for whatever reason. I don't know. It's, it's an African thing. <laughs> it's an African Indian thing. <laughs> I'm not African-American, I'm African-Indian. Uh, poor Mike, when we were out in, <laughs> when we were over there in Kentucky, <laughs> Billy would prophesy. He said, I said, Billy, we'll see you at 9 o'clock. He goes, yeah, I'll see you at 9.30. Like, why? Like, those two Indians and that one African overcomes that German. <laughs> we make him late. <laughs> no, we were late. But anyway, so every morning I would run to college, and I was, I was, I was always late running through this park, and there was this, Homeless man sitting on a bench, on a park bench. And one morning I thought, forget that, I'm going to be late for class. I'm first going to go sit down and talk to this guy. When I sat down and talked to him, I remember his name was Colin. I actually remember when he told me his story, all the companies that he worked in, and he was CEO of some of them. But the reason I asked him what he used to do was because I couldn't believe how well-spoken he was. He spoke better English than almost anybody here <laughs> in the West. And, uh, and that includes England. Uh, don't take for granted that everybody in England speaks English. <laughs> but it, so this man, he spoke such great English, so well-versed, yet, and I said to him, what happened? How are you homeless like this? His hair was this long, wild. He was dirty. His fingernails was long. long he was totally f f just filled with oil. He stank so bad. And uh, he told me his life story. He told me how uh, his marriage went sour, went south. His children hated him. He fell into a depression, started drinking, and you know the whole story. He ended with nothing. He lost everything. And all he now has is his memories of it. I thought, you know what? This man graduated from the, greatest, from the best college in South Africa. He ran some of the big, biggest companies or worked in the biggest companies and was CFO of some of the great companies in the country. Here he is. Because you know what? He graduated business, but he failed theology. That's what happened to him. He didn't have the Lord. He didn't have wisdom. He didn't have guidance. He didn't have the ability to repent. He didn't have the ability to forgive. He didn't have the ability to, to, to live as a citizen of God's kingdom. People who are citizens of God's kingdom, they know how to repent. They know how to turn around. They know how to forgive. They know how to get up and dust themselves off. They know how to hold on to a purposeful future. They have a God who upholds them and keeps them. As a parent... The first subject your child ought to pass is theology. Know God. Because a high view of God results in a high praise and a high worship of the same. So the question is, what are the ramifications of you being part of this kingdom? Well, the ramifications are what has impacted you, what it, how it touches you is that you have now changed citizenship. You are now being trained to be a fighter, somebody who fights the good fight of faith. 
You are trained as somebody who has an answer for the hope that you have. This is where you are trained to be an ambassador for heaven, an ambassador of heaven. This is where you are now in the trenches warring against not flesh and blood, but these thoughts that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The kingdom of God is where you are now an active participant in this warfare. And the scriptural truth turns this entire world into your opportunity. It gives us a purpose for our existence. Suddenly, your life has exponential, is, has ex- exponentially great eternal meaning. Wow, I am now in God's kingdom as a warrior, the very kingdom He will allow us to inherit. Suddenly, you have goals that far exceed your 401k, which is what most people live for. How can I retire comfortably? No, life is so much more than that. Suddenly, comfort and entertainment no longer is the goal. If you're not involved, and I'm closing with this, if you're not involved in promoting the kingdom of God, then you're not involved in your reality. You're not involved in the reality of as to why you are even here. You do not understand the world as it is. You do not understand the world you are in. You lack transcendent purpose. You try to find purpose in all the wrong things, in the wrong places, in the wrong people. That is why we pray in our own lives, in our families, in our church family, and in the world, your kingdom come on earth. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you infuse us with purpose, with meaning, that you plant eternity, you have planted eternity in our hearts, and you will cause that which you have planted to grow, and that we will have such an incredible view of eternity, knowing that we are already in it. You gave us eternal life. That is to say, life that is eternal. When we got saved is when we became eternal creatures to be one with you. And Lord, help us as we scratch the surface of the subject of the kingdom of God. Help us, Father God, have soft hearts and open minds as to what the responsibilities are and the requirements are for those who are in your kingdom and are subject to your lordship. Oh God, I pray you use us and that we will be so moldable that that day we will hear, well done, good and faithful. Well done, good and faithful. Enter. And that we will inherit the kingdom. Something that we cannot do as unfaithful servants. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you get something out of the word? Amen.